All right, we're going to pick up in uh, Revelation 13. We didn't cover Revelation 13 last time, did we? No. Okay, so it's an important chapter. Uh, it's, uh, it's very critical to the story. You know, the story that's being told in the book of Revelation, um, not really the kind of story that we're used to. We like a story that starts and runs through and has an ending. And that's not the way Jewish apocalyptic literature works. Uh, Jewish apocalyptic literature is uh, images, pictures, impressions, and it doesn't just always run straight through. Um, it it, it kind of overlaps at times, and sometimes it'll give you a preview, and then it'll back up, and it'll start again, and you know, this is just the way that they think and the way that, that their culture uh, led them. So chapter 13 is important because, as I mentioned last time, when we start in Revelation chapter 12, we shift from primarily focusing just on events and we start focusing on the movers and the shakers, if you will, the personalities behind the events. And so we're going to see three major personalities here in Revelation 13. Uh, if you have your set of notes, I would remind you we don't have time to go over this. Uh, on page 49, uh, you have the doctrine of anti-Semitism. And that's a very important thing to understand. A lot of people recognize that anti-Semitism exists, but they don't understand why. And the reason why... Uh, is that all of Satan's attacks, and of course he works through men and nations and armies, but all of his attacks on the Jewish people in the Old Testament were aimed at one thing. Well, I should say two things. Number one, if he could corrupt the lineage of the Jews, he could keep the Messiah from coming. Or if he could eradicate the nation, which he tried very hard to do, then obviously there can be no Messiah. The reason that's important, and this takes us into a whole other area of doctrine, we refer to it as the invisible war or the angelic conflict. It's the war that rages behind the scenes that began with the revolt of Lucifer at some point in the past. We don't know exactly when. Uh, that created a battleground situation in the universe. And his goal is to overthrow the plan and the purpose of God. And any way he can do that, uh, he is going to try to do. So when we get into the 13th chapter of Revelation, we're now in the middle of the tribulation. And we're going to meet some very important characters uh, here, again, who have one goal, and that is to eradicate the nation of Israel, to wipe them out, simply because now the Messiah has already come, Christ has already gone to the cross, he's already paid the penalty for sin, but if any of the promises of God fail, then God is proved to be untrue and Lucifer wins the conflict. So you see how important it is, especially for you and I, when we sometimes doubt the promises of God or we doubt uh, what God says in his word about what is going to happen in the future. Um, we doubt the goodness of God. Uh, we are really dealing ourselves into the hands of the enemy because that is his chief goal, to dishonor and to discredit God. And so we're going to see this happening. Uh, but that uh, those several points, I think there are six points on anti-Semitism explained why anti-Semitism originates with Satan himself. I think we're on page 50, if you have uh, the notes. Uh, Revelation 13, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the devil's triangle. This is what we can call the unholy trinity. And we'll get into that uh, immediately after we have a word of prayer. So if you would join me just for a very quick word of prayer. 
Our Heavenly Father, as we open our Bibles and as we prepare our hearts and our souls to hear your word, it's so important for us to understand that we're not just dealing with uh, strange and fantastic characters, personalities, events. We're actually dealing with things that are coming on this earth. And Father, the more we look around and we, the more we see the corruption in high places, the more we see uh, every form of degeneracy being pushed as normal, and at the same time, hatred for all that is right and all that's good uh, and all that's pure, uh, we see our world moving in this direction. So, Father, as we open our Bibles tonight, we pray that God the Holy Spirit would equip us to receive the truth and realize that we are dealing here with matters that are shortly to come to pass. And we pray that it'll challenge us to realize that right now, right here where we live our lives in this world, this battle is raging. And it's always at the heart of it, a battle between truth and deception. Our desire is to know the truth and we know that the truth is in your word the truth is in Christ Jesus, and therefore we pray that you'll hold us to it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the devil's triangle. In Revelation 13, we find five satanic counterfeits. You know, it's very interesting. The devil is not very original. Uh, if you're going to try to be the best, and you can't be the best, the next thing that you can do is try to imitate the best. And this is, of course, what the devil does. Everything that God does, the devil is going to try to come up with a counterfeit. And there are five of them in this chapter, the first being the Trinity. Uh, we're going to have a Trinity, an unholy Trinity of the devil, referred to as the dragon in this chapter, the beast, which we call Antichrist, and the false prophet. So that's the first Counterfeit. The second is the resurrection. We're going to be told that Antichrist is going to receive a deadly wound and that he is going to miraculously survive or even die and come back to life. Uh, this is such an important point that it's actually mentioned three times in this chapter. Third, the dominion of Christ. He's going to try to uh, imitate that or counterfeit that with the dominion of the Antichrist. Uh, Satan has always wanted to be worshipped as God. You'll remember back in Isaiah 14, with the five I wills of Satan, one of those was, I will be like the Most High. In other words, he wanted to usurp the throne of God. And so we're going to have uh, his attempt to counterfeit the dominion of Jesus Christ. Um, fourth, miracles, uh, they're going to be, uh, it's going to be a light show. Uh, it's going to be like the 4th of July uh, in unbelievable and spectacular events that are taking place. Uh, the stage is being set right now for this. Uh, every time we turn around, we're getting some new information about uh, UFOs and alien beings and uh, forces beyond our comprehension, and on and on and on and on. Artificial intelligence. Sorry? Artificial Artificial. Now we're going to have computers taking over and telling us what to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to be in the age of the Terminator. Um, this, this is the beginning of strange things, and we're only seeing the beginning. Uh, five years ago, I'm sure many of us would have said we could never be where we are today, certainly 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. We could never be pushing publicly in our schools and in our institutions the things that we're pushing now. Uh, so bad has it become in our military, no one that is patriotic wants to go into the military. And the reason is because our military is no longer patriotic. So I don't know if you've read, I've just read within the last couple of days, they're not going to bring back the draft. They're going to have to force people to go into the military because people don't want to go into the military. They don't want to go in and get all kinds of sociological experimentation on them. Uh, the real warriors want to go in and be trained 
to go to battle against our enemies and fight, and that's not what we're doing uh, in our military. Um, I'm sure you all remember General uh, Milley, who's the head of our military, basically saying that uh, he was trying to understand white supremacy and white rage. Uh, you know, he just lost all of his uh, really solid warriors with that statement. So anyway, things are a mess, and we realize that, uh, but miraculous and strange things are going to be happening, and you can compare Revelation 13 with 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, which talks about the fact that the spectacular events that will occur around the time of the revealing of the Antichrist will be so great that the world will be deceived. And then finally, fifth, the seal of God. Uh, you know, I think we've covered this several times in class. One of the five works of the Holy Spirit when we believe in Jesus Christ is we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God puts the seal of God on us, meaning that we are his possession and that we have a destination. And that destination is in his presence, in his eternal kingdom, and signed, sealed, and delivered are the three things that are included in the idea of a seal. Well, the devil's going to come up with his own seal. You know that, of course, as the mark of the beast. All right, so let's get into the passage itself. Let's look at the one world government, uh, Revelation 13, 1 and 2. And my eyes have been giving me fits tonight, so I'm, and I'm using my my old Bible, which always looks like this. It's so written on people say, how can you even read it? Uh, but because some of the notes I want to bring out to you. So <clears throat> he says, then I stood on the sand of the sea. I will point out to you that there is a discrepancy in the Greek text. There are two main lines of Greek manuscripts that have come down to us. And there are some differences in these manuscripts. They're always very minor they never change uh, any of the uh, doctrinal truths that are presented. But some of the manuscripts say, then I stood on the sand of the sea, meaning John, and others say, then he stood on the sand of the sea, and that would be a reference to Antichrist. Uh, the sand of the sea, or the seashore, of course, refers to the nations. Uh, we'll find later on, I think in chapter 15, that the nations are referred to as uh, the sea. So I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. The beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. So here we have what's described as a beast. Uh, God looks at these characters not as they appear outwardly, but as they are inwardly. And this Antichrist is going to be like a ravenous beast. You'll know, of course, that the imagery that's being used here, the leopard, the bear, the lion, anyone remember where that comes from? There are two passages in the Old Testament, and you were just talking to me, Linda, about Daniel. Um, Daniel chapter 2, you'll remember that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a great image. The head of gold, the shoulders of silver, uh, the waist was of bronze, the legs were iron and brass. And this was basically a foretaste of the kingdoms of the world or the major empires of the world moving forward. Uh, again, in Daniel chapter 7, you have all this in your notes. You'll remember that Daniel sees the various empires of the world, the major players, uh, looking like various creatures. For example, Babylon looked like a lion with eagle's wings. That is actually the symbol. I'm sure all of you have seen uh, carvings on walls of the lion with the eagle's wings, and that was the symbol of Babylon. And then, of course, in Daniel chapter 5, uh, 7, verse 5, there was a bear raised up on one side. This referred to the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, the leopard with four wings and four heads was a picture of Greece because after Alexander died, the kingdom was divided in four parts. Then there was the beast that was dreadful and terrible, which relates to the legs of iron. 
And this, of course, refers to Rome under the Caesars. And then finally, another horn, a little one, and we refer to this as the revived Roman Empire. This is a reference to Antichrist. So once again, remember that John loves the word sign. Uh, he uses the word signs in the Gospel of John. There are eight signs in the Gospel of John. And the word that he uses is Samion. And Samion, it's important to distinguish between different words because there are three different words used for miracles. Sometimes they're called a miracle, which refers to the supernatural act. Sometimes they're referred to as a wonder, and that refers to the effect they have on the people. And sometimes they're referred to as a sign. The sign always means some kind of physical event with a spiritual significance. Jesus turned water into wine. Was that just to wow the crowd? Was that just to gain popularity? Of course not. His first sign in John chapter 2 was to demonstrate his resurrection power and his regenerative power toward men. If he can take common water and turn it into the best wine, what can he do with you and I? As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. And water to wine is an illustration. It was a sign. So as John goes through, he is drawing on Old Testament pictures. And as I've often said, you can't understand the book of Revelation if you're ignorant of the Old Testament. You constantly are having to refer back to Old Testament imagery and Old Testament teaching. Little Horn is important because in the uh, book of Daniel, the little horn that comes up from the seven horns overpowers three of them and then rules over the others. Uh, this is an image of Antichrist, but why it's important is because it shows that he begins seemingly very insignificant. He's going to come from obscurity. He's going to come from insignificance to a place of absolute dominance of the majority of the world. So John here is looking at the beast that comes up from the sea and reminding us from the images of Daniel, this man has been spoken of before. This is not something new. Uh, it's something that is spoken of not only throughout Old Testament prophetic passages like Isaiah, by the way, Isaiah, often I think there are seven or eight times in Isaiah that Antichrist is referred to as the Assyrian. Now, this is very interesting because you know that at the time Isaiah was prophesying, Assyria was the threat against the nation of Israel. But always remember that prophets have sort of a dual focus. It's as if they're looking forward and seeing mountaintops. First mountaintop is the first coming of Jesus. Second mountaintop, the second coming. And what's in between? The prophets of the Old Testament never saw what was in between, which we call the church age. That's why Paul calls the church age a mystery, because it was never revealed in the Old Testament. You'll often hear people saying, talking about the church in the Old Testament. That's a misnomer. Church has a specific meaning. It did not exist until Jesus first spoke of it in Matthew 16 when he said, on this rock, meaning the declaration of who he was and the recognition of who he was, on this rock, I will future build my church. So it's, it's really a, an error to talk about the church in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the entity that God was working through was a nation, the nation of Israel. In New Testament times and in our times, the entity that God is working through is a body of believers made up of all who trust in Christ, and that is the term church. So these images which Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, 
Now, as we near the second coming of Jesus Christ, John is recapturing these images and reminding us this has been spoken of before. Uh, moving on then, uh, let's, let's take up verse 3 and 4. The beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power uh, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it had been uh, mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Verse 4, so they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. We know from chapter 12, the dragon is the devil. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to make war against him? In other words, no one can stand against him. I want you to notice that there are three references to this mortal wound in the text. You'll notice it in verse three. You'll notice it again in verse uh, 12. It refers to the deadly wound. And then again in verse 14, the wound by the sword. So what's the devil going to do here? He's going to counterfeit the resurrection. Antichrist comes on the scene, is somehow attacked. It says that it's a wound by a sword, so I assume that it's going to be an assassination attempt. Uh, it's going to be a mortal wound. It's a death-dealing wound. And somehow from that situation, whether he is miraculously healed before he dies or whether he literally dies and is raised again to life by the power of Satan um, really doesn't make clear, but it's going to be miraculous. The whole world is going to be watching. The whole world is going to see this happen and uh, they are going to, um, again, from 2 Thessalonians 2, the miraculous things that are going to happen will cause the world to worship the beast that we call the Antichrist. Um, I want to throw something out to you. This is not in your notes. So if you want, you might want to jot this down. This resurrection relates to something else that we read about. And I'm just throwing this out. You know, there's, there's interpretation and there's speculation. Interpretation is what the text says. Speculation is not bad as long as it's based on the text and consistent with the text. It's important for us to understand that interpretation is absolute. Speculation is a possibility. All right. Um, two things speculation should never do. Uh, number one, it should never become dogmatic. Uh, I've known a lot of young pastors that have come up through the years and uh, they had some new insight and they made it the be all and end all of their ministry. I knew one young guy that was really rising in influence and impact and, and effect back uh, in the 70s, uh, 70s and 80s. But he came up with uh, teaching, and the teaching, there was nothing wrong with the teaching. It was completely in line. But he made it sort of the litmus test for who he could fellowship and who he couldn't. If you didn't buy into it, uh, he rejected you and treated you like dirt. Well, as these things too often happen, uh, if you keep treating people like that, pretty soon you have no one left. And so he, his ministry just basically dwindled to nothing. So <clears throat> speculation, as long as it's based on evidence that we see in the wor word, is at least worth looking at. So here's a little speculation. Again, I would not make it dogmatic. Uh, I would not say that this is scripture. It's an idea. Okay, you ready for this one? What if the beast is Judas resurrected? Nah, it can't be. <laughs> Let me give you six reasons why it's a possibility. I'm not saying it's true. The title Son of Perdition is only used of two people. You know the title. The Son of Perdition, which literally means a son of the devil. 
okay? It's used of two people, Judas and the beast. You can find that in John 17, 12 and 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. A second point. Judas was called a devil by Jesus. You know, some people say Judas believed and then lost his salvation. No, no, no. Judas never believed, was never saved, and he's called a devil by Jesus in John 6, verse 70. Have I not chosen you 12, and one of you is a devil? A third point. It is said of Judas after he died that he went to his own place. Who dies and goes to their own place? Kind of strange, don't you think? Judas died and he went to his own place. Acts 1, 25. Fourth. The beast that we're now studying is said to rise up out of the abyss. Where is the abyss? Well, we know the abyss is like a prison of uh, demons. But the beast, whether we're talking about the individual or the spirit that inhabits him, <laughs> rises out of the abyss. We see that in Revelation 11, 7, uh, Revelation 17, 8. Here's one that's very interesting. Of the beast, it says that he was... This is from John's perspective. When John was writing, he was, he is not, and he is to come. So whoever the beast is, it's someone that existed before. From the time at the point that John was writing, he did not exist, but he had existed previously, and he would exist again. That is Revelation 17, 8. And 11. And then sixth, both Judas and the beast are indwelt by Satan. John 13, 27, and Revelation 17, uh, can't even read my own writing here. I think it's Revelation 17, 8 through 11. Just a thought, just something to throw out there. Don't get in a knot over it. We're not going to make it a test of any kind. All right. A false resurrection, a counterfeit resurrection orchestrated by the devil of the beast. And then we move into verses 5 through 7. This is the abomination of desolation Jesus spoke of. It said he was given a mouth speaking great uh, things and blasphemies. He was given authority to continue for 42 months. Let's remember the timeline of the tribulation period. Tribulation is the final week of Daniel 9, the week equaling seven years. Split that in half. First half of the tribulation is a time of relative peace and prosperity. He comes on the scene. The world falls in love with him. Everyone's worshiping him. He is charismatic. He has the ear uh, and the heart of the world. And then in the middle of the week, as Daniel said, in Daniel chapter 9, the abomination of desolation takes place. And what is that? The abomination of desolation, Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 24, 15, is when Antichrist, two things happen. Antichrist is indwelt by Satan, and he enters into the new temple and declares himself to be God. And at that point, if you don't worship him, you will be put to death. We'll see that as we move on through the chapter. So the abomination of desolation takes place in the holy place. In other words, he enters into the holy of holies, proclaims himself to be God, 
and demands the worship of the world. So it says, where do we leave off? Verse 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Guess who that includes? That's where we're going to be. He hates us. He's always hated the church. In fact, I'm personally convinced, you can count this up as another speculation, that the reason that Satan revolted was because God revealed to him a plan to create a lesser being and elevate those lesser beings above the angels. And if you look at the five I wills of Satan in Isaiah 14, we possess all five things that he said he wanted. It's also interesting that in Titus and 1 Peter, we're told that the gospel was made known before the foundation of the world. Who would it be made known to? The only ones that were there were angels. So I have a feeling that God said, hey, I've got a great plan. You guys are going to believe this. I'm going to create an inferior being to you, and in the end, they'll rule over you. And Satan said, I'm not going to stand for this. And possibly led to his revolt. Again, a conclusion on my part. You can accept or reject without <laughs> gaining or losing anything. So he's blaspheming God, blaspheming his name. Verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints. The last three and a half years... This is the point where Jesus said in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, if you're out in your field, don't go back to the house. If you're in your house, don't try to carry anything with you. Just run. Your survival may depend on seconds, moments, because at that moment, he is going to declare war against all believers, and it is going to be a horrible, horrible slaughter on the face of the earth. It was granted to him, verse 7, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. You say, well, that's not very nice. Hold your place here and turn with me to Daniel 11. Daniel talks about this. Daniel chapter 11. Verse, uh, well, let's start in verse 29, Daniel eleven twenty nine. 29. At the appointed time, showing us that God is still in control, he will return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. Ships from Cyprus will come against him. Therefore, this is talking about Antichrist. He shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and do damage. He will return and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. In other words, believers uh, who are willing under threat to forsake the faith, he'll show honor to them. Verse 31, forces will be mustered by him. They will defile the sanctuary fortress. They will take away the daily sacrifices. They will place there the abomination of desolation. That's the image of the Antichrist. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But here's the part I wanted us to get. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. We're going to see some real heroes in this time. Those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they will fall by the sword and flame and captivity and plunder. You know, God often allows his people to be put to death for their faith. It's actually the highest honor that can be given to be a believer and be given that opportunity. Not something most of us would pray for, but it truly is the greatest honor. So it says then, uh, verse 34, when they fall, they will be aided with a little help, but many will join with them by intrigue. In other words, there will be infiltration by bad actors uh, that are going to um, form a conspiracy to undo the saints. Verse 35, some of those of understanding will fall to refine them, to purify them, to make them white until the time of the end because it is still for the appointed time. Daniel wants us to understand everything is happening according to plan 
and on time, and God knows exactly what he's doing. So there will be a horrible war against the saints in the last half of the tribulation period, and uh, great heroes are going to come out of that time. So then we move into the next character. And the next character, well, we're not quite done. Uh, all who dwell on the earth in verse 8 will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. By the way, that's always an invitation. If you have an ear, hear. It's not too late. You can still believe. You can still trust Christ. <clears throat> Listen to what the message is saying. He who leads into captivity will go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And basically what that's saying is God is in control and his will is going to be done. And he already has his plan worked out for us. Very important for us to understand. Before we were born, the number of days that we were going to be on this earth were already recorded in his book. The big distinction is those whose names are in the book of the Lamb. And that refers to those who have trusted Christ. Many people struggle with the issue, how could the Lamb's book of life have been written before the world began? This is where we run into the Calvinist heresy. The Calvinist heresy is that God picks those who are going to go to heaven, picks those who are going to go to hell. There's nothing you can do about it. You have no free will. Uh, you're merely a puppet on the strings of the puppet master. Uh, it is a horrible heresy. It is a blasphemy. Uh, it crept into the church after the Reformation. The Reformation came along, the Reformation from the Roman Catholic Church, built on the planks. John Huss came earlier, but primarily Martin Luther uh, enunciated the planks of the Reformation, and it was the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the absolute authority of the Word of God, and salvation by grace through faith. He included in that that every believer is a priest. I remember teaching a Bible class once, and there was a Roman Catholic guy there, and I taught that every believer was a priest. And, of course, he used the passage from 1 Peter 2 to prove it. He came up afterwards and he said, if this tr is true, then the Catholic priesthood is false. And I said, you're right. And then the next week that he came back, I taught that we only have one high priest, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came rushing up after class and he said, if this is true, then the Pope is false. And I said, you're right. And I never saw him again. How amazing that in his own mind, he came to the right conclusion, but couldn't accept it because, you know, people cling to their tradition, but my family have always done this. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to stick with my family tradition and it can cost them eternal life. It's a great tragedy. But at any rate, after the Reformation took place, based on simple truths, Salvation by grace through faith, the authority of the scripture, priesthood of every believer, and of course, Jesus Christ uh, being the only hope of salvation. <clears throat> and then amazingly, what happened? The very people, John Calvin and Martin Luther, and I don't know if you know anything about Martin Luther, he was so virulently anti-Semitic. And by the way, I admire the man. You know, sometimes we have to deal with people as people. Martin Luther was a brilliant man. John Calvin was a brilliant man. They contributed tremendously to our history. But just because you respect someone doesn't mean you swallow everything that they teach. And they fell into error after the Reformation because the Catholics attacked. I'll give you a very short history lesson. The Catholic counterattack, it was called the Counter-Reformation, was the attack that, well, if you can just believe in Jesus and go to heaven, you can live any way you like and it doesn't matter. You ever heard that? Mm -hmm. If you promote the grace of God and salvation by grace, people will say, well, if all you have to do is believe, then you can just live any way you want. When the Catholics counterattacked with that, 
Calvin said, we have to come up with a response to this. So you know what his response was? It's known today as the cliche. And the cliche is this, and I'll bet you some of you have heard it. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. In other words, if you've truly believed, you will do good works, right? So we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And it's really a self-contradictory statement. Uh, if you're interested, I would highly recommend that you get a book by Fred Librand called Back to Faith. He takes that cliche and just demolishes it and shows the error of it. Uh, this is where people get confused in James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, faith without work is dead. Well, if you say you have faith and don't have works, you're not a true believer. That is not James' point at all. James' point is if you are a believer and you are not producing good works, you are not living by faith, your faith is as good as dead. Paul uses the exact same analogy in Romans chapter 8 when he talks about those who walk according to the flesh are dead. Those who walk according to the Spirit are alive. The issue is not salvation. The issue is not whether you're a believer or not a believer. The issue is, are you a believer who is living by faith and walking by faith, or are you what Paul would call a carnal believer who is not walking by faith? Therefore, you're not producing anything, and your faith is as good as dead. That's kind of a big side trip, but maybe something in there valuable for someone. Let's move on to the false prophet. Revelation 13, 11, I'll try to go through this a little quicker. Uh, he says, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. A little point of uh, interpretation here, the word earth is gase and it means the land. Whenever the land is referred to, it speaks of the land of Israel. So the first beast comes up out of the nations. He's a Gentile. I personally believe that he will come out of Turkey. Togarma. The Gog, Magog, Togarma, all of that together all relates to Turkey. Everybody relates it to Russia. Uh, Russia certainly is going to be involved, but I believe the Antichrist will come out of Turkey. This guy is going to come up out of Israel. He came up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb. How nice. How sweet. But it's all a counterfeit. Horns, by the way, always speak of power and influence. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is described by John in John 1.18 as being full of what? Grace and truth. There's his horns. There's his power, full of grace and truth. This is a counterfeit, of course, uh, and this is going to be the, the false prophet that leads the Jewish people. See, we have a real problem. How are you going to get the Gentiles to worship the devil and then get the Jews to worship the devil? Because all the Jews are still looking for their Messiah. Well, guess what? And you won't believe this, but Muslim clerics are, are already teaching that this is going to happen. There are Muslim preachers who are saying Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he will point you to Allah. So they've set the stage. In fact, I don't know if you know this, Muslim scholars read the book of Revelation. They believe in Revelation 6, the man on the white horse. But in their thinking, the man on the white horse is the return of the Mahdi, the reincarnation, if you will, of Muhammad. And so they look at it from a twisted point of view. All right, so it says in verse 12 that he exercises. Uh, by the way, he, he spoke like a dragon, so we know that's satanic origin. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, in the presence of the first beast, and causes the earth and those that dwell in it, again, earth being the land, those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. This is going to be a big deal. This is going to deceive the whole world. Verse 13, he performs great signs 
so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. You know, you're pretty powerful if you can do that, right? Except Satan can give you that power. Verse 14, he deceives those who dwell on the earth. Um, I want to just encourage you as you go through the book of Revelation, take note of this little phrase, those who dwell on the earth. If I'm not mistaken, it's used 15 times, and it always refers to unbelievers who are at home in the world. Those who are at home in the world would be a good way to translate it. So he's deceiving those who dwell on the earth and causing them to worship the beast. Verse, 13, uh, verse 14, he deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs that he has granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. <clears throat> Some of you may know about the Maccabean revolt. This last half of the tribulation is very similar to something that has already happened. During the period of 165 167 B.C., by the way, it lasted for a period of three and a half years, there was a guy that rose up, a Syrian, and his name was Antiochus, or Antiochus, if you prefer. He dubbed himself with the title Antiochus Epiphanes. What does Epiphany mean? Epiphany means the appearance of God. Antiochus Epiphanes was ruling over the land of Israel, Palestine. Ultimately, he put an image of himself in the temple and demanded that the Jews worship that image, and he sacrificed a pig, the most unclean of animals, to the Jews on the altar to desecrate the temple. This is what caused the Maccabean revolt. And there's a whole slew of history that goes in with that. But you can see how it was a preview of what's going to happen with Antichrist, putting an image of himself in the temple and demanding that people will worship him there. Verse 15, he was granted power. This is the false prophet to give breath to the image of the beast. We were talking about AI and everything else earlier. By the way, I've seen pictures of uh, not pictures, videos of robots that they have now. And they'll have, say, 10 dummies out in front of these robots. And they will target three of these dummies out of the 10, like it's in a crowd. And this robot can draw and fire a pistol faster than Bill Hickok and he can hit every one of those three targets three times and never touch anybody else. They now have mechanical dogs, robot dogs, that have machine guns mounted on them. They're talking about using them for crowd control. So a weird world that we're moving into. But just a preview of what's coming with this image. So he gives life to the image of the beast and causes it to speak and notice to cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is where it comes down to life or death. Many people will have been deceived. Many people will ultimately sell their souls and it will get to a point where it's too late. There's no turning back. It's possible to harden your heart to the point of no return. Notice in verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, <clears throat> free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Isn't it interesting how they're trying to get us all microchipped now? In fact, because of the news coming out about child trafficking, do you know what the recommendation of the elites is? Have your kids microchipped. Number. That way they'll be safe. 
Yeah, but it also means you'll be able to track them for life. Mm -hmm. Right? The devil always creates a problem and then offers a solution. How many times has that happened? Verse 17, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has an understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, quite frankly, if they gave me a license plate, and I've seen license plates with 666 on it, I would reject it. I, I absolutely would not accept it. Not because I think there's anything inherently evil in that license plate. I just don't want to be identified with that number. There have been all kinds of, again, speculation, what 666 stands for. Uh, it's the mark of a name. It's very in interesting that the name Jesus in Greek, the numerical equivalent of Jesus in Greek, is 888. And eight is the number in scripture of new beginning, which is very interesting. I believe when the Antichrist comes on the scene, this is going to make sense. I think then they will be able to identify this number in relation to him. I don't think we can. I've heard that it is the number of Henry Kissinger. I've heard that it was the number of uh, Nixon. I've heard, you know, so many ideas. No, we're not going to know until the time. But I will tell you this. Six is the number of man, and three is the number of God, and this number is speaking of a man who proclaims himself to be God. So this is where the world's going. And not to keep you up at night, I believe he's already here. I believe he's on the scene. I believe we're that close. Uh, in fact, I would suggest that he is probably working through very powerful and shadowy figures, many of whom you and I wouldn't even know. If I can assure you of this, if you know their name and their face, they're not that high up. The people that are high up are unknown, unseen, but they are pulling strings and working levers, and they work through their functionaries, the WEF, Klaus Schwab, all those kind of people, and they are trying to push this agenda very, very hard. And we see it. Yes, sir. I was just going to, I'm kind of caught up on this uh, image that, that's referred to several times here. Right. Um, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do. So he's blowing people's minds. Right, a these, miracle worker. Things that he's doing in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image mm -hmm. to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image right. of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So is the image the like, like a... Like a like a veil to make it seem like like you 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 see like a a, um, a wolf in sheep's clothing or something is that what he's referring? Yeah, to? well, basically the image is going to be an image of the Antichrist. It's going to be his image, and you have to worship. And probably what's going to happen, and this happens in other countries, believe it or not, uh, you have a symbol, or you have an image. In the early church, the Christians were told, we don't care if you believe in this Jesus guy, you can have all your religion, but you must offer sacrifice to Caesar and you must proclaim that Caesar is Lord. And that's something the early Christians wouldn't do. And of course, because they didn't get it, that's why they came up with the proclamation, Jesus is Lord, and uh, many of them died for it. Uh, this is just going to be a further development of all that where now you've got an image. Imagine they, they bring a statue of the, the Antichrist into the temple, and there it stands, and the whole world's seeing it, televised around the world. And, of course, they're all in love with him, so they're going to think this is great. And you even have the Jewish so-called Messiah telling the Jews, worship this guy. And then 
the false prophet, the fake Messiah, does his little trick, sprinkles pixie dust or whatever, and all of a sudden the image starts talking and starts declaring that if you don't worship this image, you die. And then what happens? Those little images go out around the world. And every time you see that image, you've got to bow down. You have to worship it. Why would they do that? Well, if you walk by that image and don't bow down, they know who you are. It's going to be a very easy way to identify those who believe in Christ because they're the only ones. No one who is not a Christian will be able to stand up to the pressure to worship this beast. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it, 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 it does in a roundabout. I was just wondering if it was a, you know, maybe not image the way I'm thinking image, but it. I think it'll be like a statue. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You could, a hologram. Who knows? The image will be there. But it'll have power. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and how the image, because from what it says here, the image is going to cause people who don't worship to be killed. Who knows if fire is going to come out of his mouth? Who knows? I mean, we're told enough to give us what we need to know, but there's a lot. But we won't be here for that. No, we're not going to be here. So. <laughs> that will be we're, the ones that, are left, that were left behind. We're, we're and, going to and be. And the Lord is left behind for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, supposedly they had that big 27 story statue that was coming to Phoenix that could, you know, replicate whoever Elvis Presley, the voice, the mannerism. Yeah. Whoever they told it to. Yeah. That um, was two years ago. Yeah. And they're already, they're already setting up. I'm sure all of you know the image of Baphomet, which is the guy with the goat head and he's, you know, doing yeah. his thing. They're actually setting statues of that up and that goes all the way back to Baal worship. Mm -hmm. So, and it is deep into pedophilia. If you notice, there's always a young boy and a young girl standing. Yeah. 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 And they're looking up adoringly at this creature. And do as thou will. Do so, as thou will is the same that thing that you were talking about um you know you can do whatever you want if you're safe you know, yeah do as thou wilt exactly yeah yeah fun. you don't need restraints live life the way you want to live it to each their own <clears throat> so be very handsome very beautiful both feminine and masculine i believe i think he's going to be everything love 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 yeah and they're just going to fawn over it yeah yeah a real chameleon. Everything to everybody. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I mean, how much can we see this coming? You know, in everything that's being pushed, we see this coming. That's why I believe. And, I, you know, people say, well, people have thought Jesus was coming back forever. Well, that's true. But there are certain things that had to happen and it, he couldn't come back. For one thing, he couldn't come back till Israel became a nation. We know that for a fact. So from that time to where we are today, we're basically counting down to the coming of Christ and the rapture of the church. All right, we've gone a little bit over time. I hope it was worth it. Uh, as I always say, there's a lot more in your notes. I hate to just read notes. One of the things that used to drive me crazy when I started into a class was they would give us a syllabus and then they would sit there and the whole first hour was the teacher reading the syllabus he just gave us. Yeah. And I would just go, I can read, I can read. So I hate to just read over notes. I try to hit the highlights for you, uh, but I do appreciate your, your questions and your input uh, because you know, really what we're doing here in this house is how the church began. It's how it started. And believe it or not, I've been saying for 30 years, the way the church began is the way it's going to end. It's going to end up in houses because persecution is going to drive people underground and into homes. And we have been in so many settings uh, in Cuba, basically home settings, in China, 
home settings in Vietnam, uh, home settings, someone who had a big room, they convert the whole room, uh, just like uh, has been done here, and that becomes their gathering place and their worship place. So we're really living a very interesting part of history. It's very exciting, sometimes daunting, but exciting if we face it in faith. All right, let's pray and we'll call it quits. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your people, for those who know you, for those who love you, for those who believe your word, those who strive, and it is a battle, a struggle every day to put your word into practice. Uh, that battle goes on because the spirit and the flesh are contrary to each other. And they're always going to fight. Help us by your grace and through the power of your spirit uh, to walk in faith, to walk in love, and to walk in obedience in order that we might honor the one who gave everything for us, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.